I'm Jennifer Grayson, and this is the Uncivilized Podcast. Welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Jennifer Grayson. Thank you so much for checking out this new show and all the great things I've heard from those of you who listened to last week's episode with astronomer John Barentine, who was on talking about the pervasive issue of light pollution and where we can go to once again see the stars, to experience a truly dark night sky. A lot of you have said that you are now trying to plan a holiday trip to one of those dark sky places, which I think is so great because, as John said, as more people seek out these places and stargazing and dark sky tourism becomes more of a thing, it not only raises awareness about the issue, but then more towns, more cities around the world will become inspired to combat light pollution so that they can become designated dark sky places, which brings in a huge amount of tourists. It does huge things for those local economies. So later this week, and this is a trip I planned long before I did the interview with John, but right after Thanksgiving, I will be heading out with my family on a camping trip, a campsgiving trip, if you will, um, out to Joshua Tree National Park, which just this past year became an official dark sky park as designated by the International Dark Sky Association. So we are really excited to leave behind the bright lights of the city and hopefully take in a breathtaking night sky there. By the way, uh, campsgiving is not my term. It's something I heard about through HipCamp, which is one of my favorite websites. If you don't know about it, just go over. It's at www.hipcamp.com. They are not a sponsor of the show. I just really love what they're doing, how they have opened up this experience of camping on private land. So if you, like I am, are looking to bypass the frenzy, the materialism of Black Friday, and maybe escape to a last-minute camping spot, HipCamp is definitely the place to find one. Um, And the reason HipCamp is on my mind is because I just taped an amazing interview with the founder of HipCamp, Alyssa Ravazio, and I am so excited to bring you that episode later this holiday season. While we are on the topic of materialism and consumption over the holiday season, that brings me to today's show with Rachel Lincoln Sarnoff from the organization Five Gyres, which is confronting the now global crisis of plastic pollution in our oceans. If you don't know Five Gyres, or if you don't even know what a gyre is, I was telling my brother about the show the other day, and he said, what's a gyre? Um, They are these large-scale systems in the ocean of wind-driven surface currents, where trillions upon trillions of plastic particles, plastic trash, have accumulated over time, have pervaded marine life. These plastic particles never disappear, and they ultimately work their way up through the food chain, along with all of the plastic chemicals, into us. So before I say anything more, I just want to preempt what some of you may be thinking right now, which is, okay, this is it's Thanksgiving week, it's the holidays, this is like a really overwhelming topic. Um, this is going to be a depressing show. Is she going to tell me I can't use plastic now? <laughs> That's not what this episode is about, I promise you. Um, what this episode is about and what Rachel and I really get into here is the historical context of how all this how this all, all this pollution came to be, which is really fascinating, and how this throwaway society that we've created really only happened over the past 50 years, and how reversing it is possible, and that change really does start at the individual level. 
Rachel is a longtime friend of mine. She is a former journalist. She is my neighbor. Uh, she's a mom of three. Her kids went to my daughter's school. And she is someone I have always admired. She's just super cool. She's super relatable. She just did an amazing TED Talk that I will post the link to on the show page along with this episode. And I really think this is the perfect episode to listen to today, this week of Thanksgiving, to change our mindset around some of the wastefulness that we really do have the power to change this holiday season. So thank you in advance for listening. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Rachel Lincoln Sarnoff of Five Gyres on the Uncivilized Podcast. Rachel Lincoln Sarnoff is the executive director of Five Gyres Institute, the ocean conservation nonprofit that first discovered plastic microbeads in 2012 and campaigned for a successful federal ban in 2015. A former journalist with an MA from the University of Southern California, Rachel was the executive director of Healthy Child, Healthy World, now part of Environmental Working Group, as well as founder of EcoStiletto and MommyGreenest.com. She's promoted sustainability on The Today Show and CNN, among others, and has authored the books The Big List of Things That Suck and The Mommy Greenest Guide to Pregnancy, Birth, and Beyond. A mother of three, Rachel lives with her family in Los Angeles. Uh, a block or two from where I live, actually. <laughs> Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to talk with you. When's the last time we saw each other? Like five months ago? <laughs> well, I think I saw you. I think I saw you walking your daughters across the street this morning. <laughs> I have to tell you that. That's <laughs> oh. cool. But um, yeah, it's been a while. It's definitely been a while. I know. That's our existence here in LA, right? We like live next mm -hmm. to each other and now we have to connect via the internet to talk to yes. each other. So so tell me what you've been up to. Let's see, uh, tell me all about what your work has been like with Five Gyres since I've seen you. Have you been traveling a lot? I have, I have. I've been this year in all over in Europe. I was in Indonesia. Um, there's so much going on. I really feel like this is the year that the concept of plastic pollution kind of reached critical mass and people who wouldn't otherwise be plugged into it um, have started becoming concerned, which is great because we really need that concern. <laughs> um, we launched a really interesting campaign this year um, focused on polystyrene, which was funny because, um, you know, I knew obviously as many of us do that you know, expanded polystyrene foam, better known as styrofoam, is not something that I wanted to drink from or eat from. I tried to avoid it. I didn't really know why. Um, but I didn't know how much hard polystyrene is out there in our world and how that's really the same plastic. And so we launched this foam-free campaign to kind of help people understand where polystyrene is hidden in our lives, how we can better avoid it how to support um, bans in, you know, there's local municipal foam uh, polystyrene bans that are popping up everywhere. There's more than 100 in California alone. Um, and then how, you know, people can kind of make that pledge to avoid single-use polystyrene. It's difficult to just completely avoid it because, you know, electronics are typically packaged in polystyrene foam. Um, but the small things like, you know, buying coffee that comes in a polystyrene cup, bringing your, you know, like reusable container, if you know you're going to take food away from a place that uses polystyrene foam containers, 
And even something as simple as like if you go to a coffee place and you forget your reusable cup to order that coffee without the lid, because typically that lid, even if the cup is paper, that lid is often polystyrene plastic. Um, so, you know, little things like that to try to help people shift. Yeah. So tell us more about that hard polystyrene, because I was actually surprised. I always think of it as, you know, those foam containers that just look so toxic. And maybe you can talk too about what actually is the problem with those containers to begin with. But tell, so tell us more about that hard polystyrene, because I, I even wasn't aware of it. Yeah, I wasn't either, honestly, until I started working at Five Gyres. I mean, I knew that it was out there. I think one of the interesting things to me in running this campaign this year is um, that many people actually don't think of styrofoam as plastic. They think it's something else. And that makes sense because styrofoam really doesn't look like any other plastic. And that's because basically it's polystyrene, which is a hard plastic, um, which is styrene is the base of polystyrene and styrene is a known carcinogen. Um, so that polystyrene is basically injected with air to make it really, really light. And that makes it a very efficient and inexpensive plastic because think about it, you know, if you have a small piece of plastic to make one thing, if you just expand it with air to make its volume, you know, a hundred times, then you're still paying only for that small piece of plastic, but you're making a hundred times more things. So it's really, really inexpensive. And that's, that's why it's so pervasive. Um, and, you know, environmentally, it's really challenging. Uh, the EPA named um, polystyrene foam production, I think it's the fifth worst, most toxic industry globally. Um, so it's really toxic to workers. And then there's a lot of studies that show leaching of styrene and other substances from this type of plastic when it's heated. So one of the things we're doing with this campaign is um, we funded a study to really determine at what level that happens and what types of substances are leaching and what is their effect on um, on animals. Um, which not, includes humans, by the way. I think people forget all these, I mean, all these studies are done yeah. like on animals. And it's like, well, it's never been conclusively proven on humans. Well, we are animals. <laughs> yes. And actually, so the reason I hesitated on saying animals is the study that we did did not involve animals. So I just want to make that clear. Because also, you know, there's a lot of people that are concerned about animal welfare. and um, But so that study is coming out and that will give us a little bit of a, of a clearer picture you know, I think in general, things like single-use plastics, which is really, that's kind of what Five Gyres focuses on. Single-use plastics are things that we use once and we either throw away or we put in the recycling bin. So like straws and coffee cups and cutlery, um, you know, those things are really easily avoided. They are, they just, it just takes a little bit of a habit shift. So in the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, our habits have shifted to this culture of convenience and that makes sense. We're moving really fast. You know, life has sped up. People want to, people are concerned about not having enough time to do things. And so they want to make things easier and, and quicker. And one of those conveniences in terms of easy and quick is plastic. But I think what we really have to realize is there's, there are huge implications 
um, with using so much plastic and that single use plastic is actually really, really easy to shift away from. Um, it's just one of those things that you have to kind of begin being conscious about again until it then becomes unconscious. So like for me, for example, I have a fork and a knife, like a little bamboo set of fork knife and, and chopsticks actually. I have a cup, I carry a bag. All of these things are in my purse at all times. And so for me, it's unconscious. I don't have to think, oh, where am I gonna get that straw? Because I have a metal straw in my bag. Um, you know, so it's just, it's kind of like in that initial, that initial conscious decision to put it in my bag, that was my habit shift. And now these are just my habits and it makes it a lot easier. Right. Just like now, because we've banned plastic bags in Los Angeles, people bring their totes to the store. And that's just like now a part of your everyday habit. But so th this is what I want to ask you about, because I hear this all the time, especially at my daughter's school, when people find out that I write about, about environmental issues, they always say, oh, oh, yeah, we we recycle in our family, you know, and like, we always recycle plastic. So like, what's the problem with recycling it? Isn't that a good thing? Just to yeah, play devil's advocate for a second and give you a chance. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's such a good question. And it really is like the first question that I get, you know, people, uh, they and and it's it's like a betrayal you know because we've been taught that we can use as much single use plastic as we want without having to worry about it as long as we recycle it and so you know you do that with good faith you believe in that system you've been taught that that system is going to make that plastic okay and so when you start talking to people about re the realities of that system it's a betrayal people get mad um they're like don't so you know don't tell me not to use this yeah. So what, um, what are the realities? Because I think a lot of people yeah. don't know. They think like the plastic bottle goes away and it magically gets turned into another bottle. So what really yeah. happens? What are we looking at I, globally, right. locally? Yeah. So the reality is that, okay, so it's a really big picture conversation. So we can start with the fact that plastic is made from fossil fuels. Most plastic is made from fossil fuels. We also have um, you know, so-called compostable plastic, that's a whole other conversation, but most plastic is made from fossil fuels. And so when the price of fossil fuels is very low, as it has been for many years now, um, the price of virgin plastic, which is, you know, plastic that has never been used for anything, plastic stock, basically material, that's very, very low as well. So those two things are linked. So in, in comparison, the cost of recycled plastic is going to be higher. And so that's where it gets to be really challenging if you are a recycler. Because if, you, if you're a regular company that doesn't have sustainability as part of its mission and doesn't, you know, recoverability and, and uh, circular economy, all of these things that people, you know, in those types of companies talk about, which basically means I'm going to try to use reuse resources. So I'm going to establish if I'm making, um, you know, like Dell makes uh, laptops with 65% less virgin plastic now because they've made this conscious effort in their, um, in their corporate decision-making process to, to recover, to basically take back and then recover and reuse those elements in new laptops. So they've been able to do that. But if you're not Dell, if you're another company, um, that doesn't have that as part of your mandate, then it's really hard to justify to your shareholders that you're going to spend 
so much more money because you want to use recycled plastic. So if you're a recycler, you don't really have a market right now. And so what a lot of recyclers are doing is they are exporting our plastic waste. So, you know, not our, not just our in the United States, but all pretty much all um, developed countries are doing this. They're exporting their plastic waste. And that process is called outsourcing waste. And it basically, it means that in the US, for example, you know, we get um, container ships that are filled with plastic goods or other goods and they deliver to the US and then we fill those containers with bales of plastic, used plastic waste, and then we send it back across the ocean. So in 2011, used plastic was America's primary export to China. Primary export. Wow. So, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. And, you know, there's different things in place since then. China has put up this program called the Green Sword. Wait, the Green... I think I'm getting the name of that wrong, Green Fence, and then it was National Sword. Basically what they're saying is we don't want to take this junk anymore and they're, you know, they're becoming a, you know, they're a powerful enough country that they don't have to. Um, so we shift now to other countries, so Indonesia, um, India, you know, places where there is no developed waste management structure. So places where, um, you know, the system is, is dependent on human beings. Um, and a lot of them are, sadly, you know, there's a lot of children involved. So they're called waste pickers. They're going through trash. They're picking up pieces of plastic that are valuable. They're leaving the rest behind. So those bales of plastic, you know, a lot of the times those are mixed bales. So some of those, some of the plastics are valuable and some of them are not, depending on where they are. So these, you know, people, sometimes children going through this waste and finding the ones that are salable and then the rest of it a lot of it is getting burned and a lot of it is getting kind of just tossed and it ends up in the ocean so there was a 2015 study that showed that 80 percent of the plastic in the ocean of you know we're sending i mean it's it's just ridiculous numbers it's basically the equivalent of dumping a garbage truck full of plastic every minute that's what we're doing into the ocean um so 80 percent of that is coming from Southeast Asia. But that the challenge with my challenge with that study is that that study did not include analysis of this process of outsourcing waste. So what we're doing is we're sending plastic to a place that can't manage it and then we're blaming that place for um, the result which is that it's, you know, ending up in the ocean. Yeah, when when it's coming from us. Exactly. So, exactly. so let's talk. Let's talk about the oceans because I know that's what Five Gyres is, is very focused on, and I think a lot of there are a lot of myths around plastic pollution in the in the ocean. I I know when the when people first started hearing about these gyres of plastic, you know, this big thing going around was that there's a gyre of plastic the size of Texas in the ocean. Yeah, and so can you talk about that because I know that's that's one of the myths that you work to dispel, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, again, it's like that betrayal too, you know, it's, people are like, I saw the pictures of the island, the size of Texas. I've seen the pictures. How can you tell me it's not there? Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's part of the myth of plastic. It's part of that concept of a way. Um, you know, I think that, so Five Jars was one of the first organizations. I wasn't a part of it then, but when it was one of the first organizations to really go into the gyre and research what was out there. Um, 
and that was in 2008 or nine. Um, really with the intent of kind of figuring out like what does that island look like? And when they got there, they realized that there's no island there. Um, you know, what there is are their, their gyres. So the, the, the main subtropical gyres, North Pacific, South Pacific, North Atlantic, South Atlantic, Indian Ocean, right? The five gyres, that's where five gyres got its name. Those are these giant currents. And they're in the middle of those oceans and they do pull plastic into that current. And, and, and often, you know, some of that plastic is also getting spit out. So that's why you have islands like Hawaii, Camillo Beach, which is kind of on the, um, like we call it the front line of the gyre. The gyre is spitting out plastic onto that island and that's onto that side of the island. And that's why you have these really, really polluted beaches in some places. But plastic in the ocean, it, it breaks down. So it never biodegrades. So plastic is never going away. In fact, pretty much all of the plastic that we've ever made since the 1950s when plastic first became really popular is still with us um, in one form or another. So it's never going away, but it does break down and it breaks down into smaller pieces and that's microplastics. So these microplastics, you, you know, you can't, they're not restricted to one particular area. They're spreading through the whole ocean. It's less like an island. When you think about this problem, you know, think about it less like an island and more like smog. And I think that the thing about the island is that it's again part of that myth. And if it feeds into this same idea, which is that, you know, if we could just, if it's an island, right? If in our minds it's an island, then in our minds we also think, okay, it's all in one place. We just need to figure out that technology and then we're gonna go clean it up. And then we can keep using plastic. And, you know, it's, it's part of this kind of myth. Um, but the reality is, is that it's not restricted. It's not restricted to one area. It's permeating all the oceans and the, the human health implications are, are, are far bigger than I think we ever understood when we first started talking about that, that island as an idea. Um, Cause that's really a, you know, it was really a media story that kind of came back and, and got really popular with people. Oh, this island, um, it, became an, it became a symbol but it's not a reality. Yeah. And you touched on something so important, which is this idea that we're, I'm talking about so much on the show that we can somehow technologize our way out of this. Like you said, that like this, yeah. the reality is this is such a pervasive problem and these particles are so tiny. They are now working their way into every organism on earth and our food chain. And, and, yeah. and but because we think of it as like, oh, we'll just create a bacteria that can eat up all this plastic or we'll find big nets and, and loop them out, that somehow we can keep creating better and better inventions that's going to fix this. But, the, you know, you, you mentioned that this was this only began in the 1950s, right? Like, when did, when did plastics yeah. first begin? And like, how I'm going to pile on the questions, but like, how do you how do you fix <laughs> this mind shift that we ne we went from a society that didn't think of things as disposable? And now we just live in a throwaway world. Like, how do we fix that? And yeah. can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I sure really you can talk, talk a lot about that. I can talk a lot. <laughs> how many hours do you have, Jen? I know, right? <laughs> um, I think that uh, you know, I think that I always think about my great grandmother. So I spent a lot of time with my great grandmother when I was growing up, and even my grand my grandmother too, really. But um, you know. 
they never threw anything away. They, you know, my great grandmother would fold a piece of aluminum in a drawer and then she'd take it out and she'd use it and then she'd rinse it and she'd fold it and she'd put it back. And, you know, it was like, she never wasted anything. She burned her trash, which is horrible environmentally, <laughs> but you know, she, she, you know, she didn't use plastic because what would you do with it? She saved, I remember she had like um, yogurt containers. She saved those, put things in them, gave me food <laughs> to take home in them, you know, yeah. nothing was wasted. Um, and she lived in a world before plastic was invented, right? When she was Exactly. Born. Yeah. Well, she lived in a world and yes, she was, I mean, she was born well before plastic was invented, but also she, it was, it was valued even if it was there, you know, this was by like the 1980s, you know, it was valued. It was still true her. It was still, a substance that was valued along with glass, along with metal, along with, you know, paper. Um, and I think what's happened is that we've devalued plastic. We've seen it, it's so cheap, um, you know, you can throw it away. When plastic was first introduced in the 1950s, you have to remember the 1950s was a time really, it was like, you know, 50s and 60s were kind of the beginning of women beginning to work and not staying home and, you know, cooking and cleaning and, and caring for the home in the same way. And so plastic really fed into that. I would say that plastic actually supported that because with plastic, um, you know, you can, convenience means that things go faster and you have more time and you can do other things. Um, there's a, a really interesting Life magazine cover and it's this, this family and they're like throwing plastic up in the air. <laughs> and it says, you know, I think there's some statistic on like how much time plastic can save the average woman because, um, you know, you didn't have to wash things. You could, you could eat on plastic plates, you could eat with plastic forks, you could drink from plastic cups and you could throw them all away and they just went away. I saw a link to that actually on the Five Jars site. Yeah, yeah, Marcus actually, Marcus has it. He bought that Life magazine. He like tracked he it did. down. He actually has it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's amazing because, you know, just to put this in context, so I, he did this really interesting talk that's on your site that I'm going to post a link to on, on our webpage um, about does plastic pollution define the Anthropocene, where mm -hmm. he talks about like this is this shift where we see man's influence on the world. And he held up that Life magazine, which I've never seen before. And I think the title was Throwaway Living. Yeah, but it was like in a as good like way. Yeah, it's like the best thing ever. Totally. Yeah. So you know, I think that we were um, we were encouraged to once people started realizing that you know plastic was building up in landfills, then we were encouraged to recycle, and that was the whole seventies. You know, like give a hoot, don't pollute, don't throw it on the ground. Um, you know, put it in the recycling bin. The Crying Indian was a big marketing campaign um, yeah. about, and really that shifts, you know, what that says is that like plastic is is under your control. You, you know, it's 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 your fault if it's on the ground, but if you put it in the recycling bin, you it's under your control and you and you can be responsible for it. And I think that that's what we're, we're starting to now understand is that, um, you know, you can do what has, you've been told is the right thing. Um, and still be doing the wrong thing. And that really the solution to it is, um, you know, not using so much of it and just shifting those habits. You know, it's, it's, I think, look at California and the plastic bag. You brought up the plastic bag ban. That's a great example. 
Um, you know, globally, we use, I think it's a million plastic bags. Yeah, a million plastic bags every minute. Um, oh, wow. That's a huge amount of, and, and those plastic bags don't, they don't get recycled. They're, you know, they're, they're just, they're a complete design fail, basically. Um, so we start shifting things like California, perhaps we shift the entire US one day, you know, these, these kinds of things make, they do make a difference. I think, I think people are, you know, they, there's so many messages right now from climate change to, you know, everything. And, you know, then they're like, oh, I can't use plastic either. You know, like, what, what are you doing to me? But really, there's a, there's a different sense of empowerment that happens when you start taking ownership of your use of these substances and you start valuing plastic more and you start, you know, really making conscious decisions. Um, you know, I, I go to, like, I haven't, I've boycotted Starbucks for, I think I'm on my fifth year or something now, but, um, you know, I'll go past and, or have meetings there and there are people sitting at tables with plastic cups. So Starbucks does have regular cups that you can ask for. And I think it's just a question of like taking that extra step. You know, people don't want to stand out. They don't want to, you know, call attention. They don't want to make a tr make trouble, you know, but just, you know, ask for your coffee with a cup or bring a cup with you. You know, those things are really starting to be, um, they're starting to be community builders. People are starting to like personalize their, you know, cups and put stickers all over them and like, oh, look at you, you have one too. Oh, look at my, you know, my, my whatever I'm carrying in my purse that helps me avoid plastic. Like people are starting to communicate on those things. And then also just have a sense of like, of ownership and power. Like I'm not gonna be part of this system anymore. I'm gonna do what I can. Um, and I think that's, I think that's the long answer to the, that initial question, which is what can, what can we do about it? Um, is start acting like our grandmothers, <laughs> and, you know, and like really value this substance um, and and move away from considering it a throwaway piece. Yeah, because the truth is, you know, you think that all these conveniences come along, but it doesn't it doesn't really free up more time. You just like, especially since we've made the shift to where we stopped using plastic in our house as much as possible. And we, we use a lot of reusables. It's like, when you have all these things wrapped in plastic, you still have to like go out to the recycling bin and recycle them. And it's mm -hmm. it takes work. It's just work that we've like come to accept. And it just frees mm -hmm. up more time so you can like check a zillion emails and like, <laughs> you know, right, right. catch up on a thousand other things you have to do. Whereas opposed to like if we lived in a world where you had to make things from scratch or like wash dishes from hand, they, you just wouldn't have the time to just keep piling on more and more and more <laughs> work. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I certainly am sensitive to the fact that there's many people, you know, working three jobs and, and you know, really trying to take care of their families and um, see this convenience as something that allows them to do that. But I do think that there are certain shifts that, that are, are they're actually, they save you money, like plastic bottles of water, for example. Um, I think there was a statistic that showed that the an average family of four could save something like 50 bucks a month, you know, just by filling a reusable water bottle. That's so simple. It's so, you know, it's so easy. It just means you take that bottle, you, you know, fill it from the tap and you put it in your bag. 
Um, and then you can save yourself a ton of money. So I, I do think that there's there are there are these types of shifts that are becoming more popular and are time savers and money savers too that we can kind of get behind as a group, as a as a whole community, not just a portion of this community. Yeah, of course. And I don't mean to be insensitive. Of course, there are so many people. It's, and I, it's like that for me too. I try, but it's so overwhelming in the modern world to try to find the time to do everything. And plastic is everywhere. So mm -hmm. can you talk about like, what are some, some of the different kinds of things? You talked about like plastic uh, water, that's a clear, I mean, plastic uh, bottles and water and saving money there. What else can people do on a daily basis that maybe they, they don't even think about? That would be really easy to change? Um, well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that those shifts, I think it, I think it's less about like, uh, you know, at least in the beginning, it's less about like a whole shift and more about like one thing. So for example, if you're a parent, how can you pack a plastic free lunch? Um, you know, what can you do so that your child is not, you know, well, I mean, the, the other thing is like, there are studies that show that plastic when it's heated leaches um, you know, contaminants into the contents. So it's not just about like how we as a family choose to not be plastic free. It's also about like, how do we minimize the amount of potential, you know, contaminants that our children are ingesting in their food and water. Um, and we do that through avoiding plastic as a container for their food and water. So I think that would be like a first step if you're a parent. Um, you know, if you are a person who, I have a couple of friends who literally don't know how to make a cup of coffee, which I don't understand. Well, but, I know, it's you know, like they, the pods now too. Yeah. Like they don't, yeah, 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 they don't. So so they go every day to, you know, their coffee shop or whatever, and that's fine. I mean, I have nothing against that. But maybe if you are that person, you make a commitment to bring a reusable cup with you. Um, you know, at least for maybe try it for a week and see how it goes and, you know, go for a month. And then I think an important thing too is every time you make these shifts, don't like give yourself a hard time if you forget, you know, like it, it happens. I think it's, it's, it's about just big picture here, you know, like let's try to just make this consciousness be like, be conscious and, um, and and try not to make it yet another thing that you hate doing because you have to, you know, like try to make it more um, something you choose to. Right. Because no one likes doing stuff out of guilt. That's for sure. No. Mm -mm. Um, so we're, t you know, we're talking a little bit about into what you can do on the individual level, but th because this is such a big problem, like what do you, what is Five Gyres doing with corporations with, you know, bigger picture kinds of things? Yeah. I think, um, you know, we have, we, we've worked with corporations. We continue to work with corporations. We work with um, those that are working to eliminate plastic from their business model or to create a, a circular business model. So a circular um, system where they're recovering that plastic. We worked with a company called Rainbow Light that um, makes nutritional supplements. And they have a program where they actually take back the plastic from their, um, you know, the containers, and then they turn them into new containers. So that's a perfect system because you do need a delivery mechanism for those, you know, that product um, for them in terms of shipping and all of these things, plastic makes sense. But 
you've got to create a way so that you get that plastic back. So that's a that's a resource that you have as a company invested in. So you know, once you establish a system to 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 create to get it back, once you once you close that loop, you know, that's kind of a that's a great way to do business because you why buy that substance twice? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, so you know, those types of of moves I think are really interesting. I think bigger companies, I mentioned Dell. Dell is not a partner of Five Gyres, but um, you know, they that I think is a really interesting choice. Um, so we do that type of work too. Uh, and then I can't remember what your second question was. Oh, I, I don't even remember what it was either. <laughs> it's such a big issue. I know. Yeah. It's just, it's such a huge issue. I like, I don't even know where to begin because I, you know, I want people to feel inspired to take action, but also it's, you know, when you talk about it, it's so paralyzing. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, do you feel optimistic about the future? How do you? Like I do, I do, and I and the, you know the last thing I want to do is paralyze people. You know that's like I I really um, I do think that these types of shifts are empowering, and I think that um, if we can all you know if we can if if you remember that like Breck commercial where it was like if she tells two friends and she tells two friends and she tells two friends and then like the screen <laughs> split and there were like 400 you know girls with beautiful hair talking saying the same thing like it's really like that you know like you you know you and I have this conversation people listening hopefully are are you know responding to this conversation and then maybe they go out and they tell you know a couple people about the conversation and maybe you know for a gift, you know, somebody gets somebody else a set of bamboo cutlery. I don't know, you know, like it, it, it's just, it's, it's this, it's an ongoing evolution. I think we, we didn't, we didn't embrace plastic overnight. There was still my grandmother in 1982, you know, who was holding up her little piece of plastic and putting it in her drawer and, and not buying new. And, um, you know, we didn't do that immediately. And so we're not going to come out of this place immediately, but I really do think that um, there's a lot of hope in the future and there's a lot of people who have great solutions. I mean, there's a, this company making, um, a, like a expanded polystyrene foam, styrofoam alternative out of mushrooms. That's the coolest stuff that's like moldable and, you know, it's amazing and it biodegrades, like it truly biodegrades. So, and that's actually another thing we should touch on is, um, that idea Compostables. of plastic. Yeah, that, yeah, that was because, that was my next question. So that's another yeah. myth because now you go, like, especially I go to a lot of like environmental meetings or parties mm. and it's like, oh, don't worry. Everyone has their, well, sometimes they have the regular plastic cups, which I can't believe. Yeah. But a lot of yeah. times, you know, it's like this compostable plastic and people are just, you just, they're like, woohoo, and they throw it in the garbage. Yay, it's compostable. Yeah. So can you yeah. clear up what is compostable plastic? And is it yeah. really a viable solution for this pervasive plastic pollution that we have around, now around so, the world? So I would say that, you know, just like recycling is not a solution right now because it's, you know, I don't want to discourage people from recycling, but, you know, the system is broken. Um, we need to, to, to fix that before it's considered a solution. I would say the same thing of compostable plastic. So compostable plastics are typically made from plants, um, like corn, soybeans. For the last 10 years or so, they've been growing in popularity. They've really been positioned as a more sustainable alternative uh, uh, to 
plastic made from fossil fuels. And so it's like the same thing that we've been told about recycling. Like you can use as much of it as you want, as long as you put in the recycling bin. Now it's, you can use as much of it as you want, as long as it has that, you know, nice green lettering on the side that's telling you it's compostable. So the challenge with compostable plastic is that you need an industrial composting facility in order to process it. So those are not widely accessible. There's no network of compostable of, of processing facilities, of, you know, that that's allowing us to put our compostable plastic in there and have it break down. So yeah, explain put, what when you say break down. Can you just explain what compostable is? Because I think a lot of people don't even really understand what that means. Well, like true compostability is think about like a banana peel, right? If you throw a banana peel on the ground, or you throw it in your green bin, or you throw it in your compost pile, it's going to eventually break down into, you know, dirt, nothing. But the same thing is not true of compostable quote, I put that in quotes, plastic. So that needs to be processed with the, just the right amount of humidity and heat in order for it to break down. Um, and so without that, it's going to act like any other plastic. And that's the problem is that you can't, um, you know, you can't position it as this, like, once again, safe, you know, safe and and easy and like great alternative, it's not. It's it's the same challenge as it's it's you know when when like people say it's too good to be true. Well, yes, it's too good to be true. Um, we the whole solution really is not about creating other plastics that are somehow better. Um, the solution really is about re reconfiguring the system. Yeah, and I I kind of wish everyone could just spend a day with you because once you see how you make these shifts in your everyday life, like one of my favorite things was when I went to go visit you at the Five Gyres office and we went and ordered from the food truck and uh -huh. you asked, <laughs> before you placed the order, you asked what if there was any plastic that was going to be coming from the order so yeah. that you could like, like preempt it, you know? And yeah. you did it in such a nice, lovely way that no, it... You kind of think if you're going to ask that question, people are going to think you're a weirdo, you know, be like the crazy plastic lady. But you do it in such a nice way that it it makes people inspired to be like, oh, we can shift this. And then when I went, you know, went with you into the whole office where you work, which actually maybe I'll just let you talk about that. Everything, everyone in the whole office uses reusables now in the office. Yeah. Space. So can you yeah, tell us about work, that? It's so inspiring. Yeah. Well, it's it's and again, I think that is just, you know, it's just having that consciousness right so you go to the truck you see that you know that what the truck is you know the truck's not going to hand you a porcelain plate so it's just about asking um and i think people are a little like embarrassed to ask but most of the time when i ask the people in the truck are happy to have that conversation because they also are moving away from plastic you know so um but in terms of we work so our office is at we work we work is this amazing um it's in like, I think every country now, it's a shared workspace. We're at the one in Culver City. And when we first moved in here, they were just building it out. And one of our first conversations was about how, what they were gonna use for, you know, water and coffee and things like that. And they did have glasses, mason jar glasses and coffee cups on a shelf that you could, you know, get and use for the water and the coffee. But then they also had, you know, what quote again, quotes, compostable plastic cups next to the water dispensers. And so people, of course, are going to think, oh, they want me to use this cup for this. So I am not going to go get the glass from the from the shelf. So I think, um, you know, that just was this this conversation that started way back a year and a half ago when we first moved in. And, and 
and continued with, with WeWork management first here in Culver City and then for Southern California. And now the company is, they phased out all um, plastic in, I think it's six Southern California locations and they're expanding across all of Southern California and then ideally throughout the US and then internationally. And it's not about, um, you know, something being banned. It's just like this sort of gentle phase out where people now go, oh, I don't see a plastic cup next to the water, so I'm gonna go and get the glass from the shelf, which was there all along. <laughs> so it's been this really great, um, it's just been this really great experience working with them and watching them make this shift, which started with our tiny group of eight people and now can potentially affect, you know, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Yeah, that's amazing. And what's what's the response been? How have the people in the office, have they embraced it? Great. Has there been pushback? Yeah, yeah. People are really into it. And they, you know, we have little signs and they come up and they're like, what else can we do? And yeah, it's been really... Um, it's been really amazing. It's, you know, I think people are really ready to make these kinds of shifts and they get excited and they get involved. And, you know, it becomes like, it's almost like, again, it's like we talked about it earlier. It's like a community building thing um, where you say, okay, this is something I want to identify with. This is something I want to do. So it's, you know, there, there is a lot of hope. I, I don't, I don't want I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be discouraging. There is a lot of hope. And I think that there's a lot of potential for change. Um, and a lot of it is, yes, individual. And then then a lot of it is kind of getting involved, um, you know, finding out what your representative is doing. California is a great example. There probably will be a, um, a, a statewide ban on the ballot. There's definitely going to be bans. There's a was just a ban introduced in Long Beach, probably Los Angeles County, Los Angeles City. Um, you know, find out what your representatives are doing about those things. Are they supporting them? Are they hindering them? Um, you know, there's a lot that we can do on that front as well. And you're talking about a ban on polystyrene? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really exciting. I, I mean, so tell me more about what's next for you and what's next for Five Gyres. I, are you working with the UN now too? We are. Um, that happened earlier this year. So we are in what's called spe special consultative status. <laughs> oh, sounds very um, official. Yeah, very official. Um, uh, yeah, so we so our foam free campaign will continue through the end of next year. Um, we will be launching the study that I referenced. So that is probably coming at the beginning of next year. And we'll have um, information on that if people go to fivegyres.org. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter. We have a lot of kind of more, um, you know, individual action um, focused kind of campaigns that are launching throughout the year. So that's definitely something to check out. Um, and yeah, just gearing up for a plastic free holiday. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me a little bit about that because that's that's the toughest thing. The we've got seven. Well, we've got six grandparents in our family and. Mm -hmm. It's just an endless, they're going to hate me. I hope they're not listening to this right now. But it's like, no matter <laughs> what we do and, and how we try to preempt it, it's always like, they just can't help coming with little gifts, you know? Yeah. Even if, even yeah. if we're like, please get them dance classes or please do something that's like an experience instead of stuff or just buy a plane ticket yeah. to come see us. So what, how are you doing I mean, this? I mean, I have three kids and I have, you know, many sets of grandparents for them on both sides. Um <laughs> And, you know, some of them are really 
like my mother-in-law is awesome. She's, you know, ever since we started talking about organics every year now, she gets my kids organic pajamas, you know, organic cotton pajamas. Like, you know, they, they really do. Um, I think depending on the person want to want to get involved and my kids are now into it too. So that's the other thing is that's, you know, that's part of their consciousness. Um, but I think grandparents, you know, they want, they want to watch their kids, op their grandkids open something. It makes them really happy. And I don't, I wouldn't want to take that happiness away from my, you know, the grandparents in our family. But I think there are conversations that you can have about like really what your kids need, what, what you were trying to avoid that sense of like overwhelming amounts of presence. And, you know, that, that the plastic is really something that we as a family are conscious of. And so we're trying to avoid that. I think all of those things are conversations that we can have. Um, and then it's an evolution, you know, maybe it's this year, it's one thing. And, and next year, you kind of move towards, you know, the Thanksgiving where nobody brings something in plastic wrap. <laughs> it's, it's a constant, it's a constant shift. Yeah. So what, so lay it out. What does a plastic free holiday look like for you? Um, you know, I think it, it has a lot to do with, with what you choose, um, you know, what we're choosing to buy, hopefully things that are, you know, the goal is obviously made locally, no transport, um, then you, you know, then you kind of cut that out as well. Things that aren't packaged in plastic. Um, there's also little things that you can do. Like, uh, for example, if you're having, a, you know, if your company is having a, uh, holiday party, you know, working with that holiday party planner to maybe, you know, everybody brings their own glass. We just had a party last week um, that was so cute. We we asked everyone to bring their own glass if they wanted a drink. They had to bring their own glass. Um, and this this older couple came and they had these really cool, like, you know, like beveled crystal glasses that they brought with them that was just adorable. So those, you know, those kinds of shifts that you can um, that you can kind of encourage in conversation. Um, and so parties, there's also wrapping, um, you know, there's really amazing ways to wrap using, you know, paper that's not like a lot of wrapping paper now is really, um, it's like coated plastic basically. So there's a lot of alternatives like we like to use newspaper or we use old calendars or we, you know, reuse a lot of wrapping paper. Um, there's also, you know, that amazing wrapping in scarves that people do. There are people who will avoid plastic tape and use tape that is um, made out of, you know, like uh, like masking tape is, you know, non-plastic. Um, I still use tape, <laughs> you know, like I feel like we, you know, we try to do our best and that is probably my, one of my fails, but, um, but we all do the best that we can. So those are a couple of tips. We'll have a lot more actually on our Instagram and Facebook. We're all um, at five gyres, the number five, and then G-Y-R-E-S. So you can check back there beginning like mid-November. We'll be doing tips, I think, for the next six weeks. That's great. And tell us about your own social media handles because I love your own personal sites too. Oh, you just make, I, you make everything so, you know, speaking of not paralyzing, you really do bring it down in a way that makes it like people so inspired just to do one thing and you do everything in such a really like glamorous oh, isn't the right so word, word, but you do everything in such a stylish, wonderful way. So where can people follow you Thank online you. as well? Um, I am Rachel R A C H E L L Sarnoff. So it's it's my name, Rachel Sarnoff, with an L in the middle for my middle initial, which is my former last name. So Rachel L Sarnoff, and that's on Instagram and Twitter. 
Um, and then I have a Facebook page, which is the same. Um, and thank you for saying that. That's so sweet because I really feel like, um, you know, the same of you, like you inspire so many people to make these decisions and to do these things, especially in the world of parenting that are just so positive. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know. I'm glad to know you and know that people like you are out in the world and that we all are like kind of, you know, thinking about this stuff, just having this conversation. And then it, that energy continues to grow and build. And I think we can together make, make a really big change. I really do believe that. Thank you so much, Rachel. Hopefully I'll see you in person and we can clink a glass of something. Yes. A reusable a, glass. A, a reusable glass for yeah. sure. <laughs> all right. Thank you. I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show with Rachel along with the music you're listening to right now underneath my voice, which is by composer Paul Damien Hogan. If you, like me, feel inspired by what Rachel said today, don't forget to visit the Five Gyres website at www.fivegyres.com where you can take the pledge to go foam free and sign up for their terrific newsletter. And if you like today's show, I would be so grateful if you consider leaving us a rating on iTunes. That would be a really lovely holiday gift <laughs> that I would really appreciate. Um, and if you are interested in how I am avoiding single-use plastic and the creative ways I'm trying to preempt some of the holiday waste this season, check out my Instagram page at jennifergrayson1. And that is it. Happy Thanksgiving, and I will be back next Monday with a new episode of the Uncivilized Podcast.